Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you are gracious. Lord, we know that you are wise. Lord, you have preserved your word for us so that we can know you more. So, Father, this morning, as we dig into your word, I pray that you will show us something new or remind us of something we may have forgotten, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are continuing through our sermon series in the book of Colossians, uh, and this is the sufficiency of Christ. So what... I kind of talked about this a little bit last week. You know, I like to work my way through a book of the Bible. Um, So that means that each Sunday, um, yes, each sermon is kind of a standalone sermon, but at the same time, you can get more of the context or some some deeper understanding of the connections from week to week if you are here or you're hearing the sermons regularly. Um, So if you have missed any of them, I encourage you to go back um, to our podcast and and catch those sermons. If you go, whatever you use to listen to podcasts, if you listen to podcasts, if you go back through um, and you search for Victory Baptist Church-Hope Mills, you should be able to find us. Or if you want to listen to the podcast, but you need a little help with that, um, the technology side of that, I can help you out with that. Um, But if you are, um, if you're here with us this morning, I'm I'm glad to see you here. And if you uh, have missed any of those old sermons, please go back and listen to them. It does help with the, the continuity of the whole text. Um, This morning we are in chapter 2, and we're going to hit verses 4 to 23, and this is a warning against false teachers. I've been kind of giving you uh, some warning that this is coming up, uh, that Paul wrote this letter to teach against these false teachers, to give the correct teaching that these teachers were were getting uh, wrong. And so the main idea in this passage is that all other false gospels fail to live up to Christ's, uh, His sufficiency. And we see that played out in three ways here. First is that Christ is greater than human wisdom. Second is that Christ is greater than legalism. And third is that Christ is greater than religion. I'm going to say that again. Christ is greater than human wisdom. He's greater than legalism. And he's greater than religion. Uh, So we'll pick that up and start in verse 4. It says, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being uh, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Um, So Paul says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus, um, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. See, this is central to Paul's argument. The continue to live in him is central to Paul's argument. He says that you receive salvation through Jesus. We receive our salvation through Jesus. And then from there, we go on in our religious life to other things to become more mature. No, no, that's not what Paul's saying. He says we receive salvation in Christ, but we continue to live in him. We start with him and we continue in him. We don't go deeper in our relationship with God by turning away from Jesus to something else. Paul says to continue to live in him. This is an encouragement. He's encouraging the church at Colossae to be in Jesus, to abide in him, to find their fullness in him. 
See, he's pointing to the gospel. Because when we have a correct understanding of the gospel, we know that when we are born, we are born dead in sin. We are born sinners and under or deserving punishment from God. But through Jesus, we are reborn into life. When we believe in his life, death, and resurrection, then we are reborn into life. Jesus is the source of life, and outside of him is death. See, Paul's encouragement to live in Jesus is essential to Christianity and essential to eternal life. It is the power, this is where they will find the power to stand against the false teaching. That power to stand against those false teachers comes through staying in Jesus, by living in Jesus. When we try to do it on our own is when we start to stray from biblical truth. Or, or as Paul said it back in chapter 1, is where we start to shift away. Now, I've been teasing this for four weeks that Paul would address some false teachings, but now we're finally going to get into them. The two that we're going to talk about first are philosophy and, and human tradition. So let me give you a simple definition of philosophy, because even philosophers can't agree on a, an all-encompassing definition of philosophy. So let me give you just a simple definition. Is, uh, so philosophy is a way of thinking about the world, the universe, and society. It works by asking very basic questions about the nature of human thought, the nature of the universe, and the connections between them. So philosophy, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with philosophy. By itself, philosophy is not evil. But it's when we try to pursue philosophy without holding to biblical truth, without holding to biblical authority, that's when we start to stray away from the truth and from what is good. Philosophy, like I said, philosophy is not evil, though it definitely was my least favorite class in seminary. I really did not like my philosophy class. The teacher was, he was fine, might have been a little boring, but he was fine. Um, a lot of really good information in there, but it just, it, it was not in my wheelhouse there. Um, but many, many philosophers, like I said, it's not evil in and of itself, but many philosophers have come to evil conclusions because they're straying away from biblical truth. This is what Paul means when he says to continue to live in him. We can study philosophy, but we remain grounded in biblical truth. When we remain grounded in biblical truth, we live in Jesus. We can study philosophy to learn more about God, to learn more about the way that we interact with God. Now, again, we're not straying from Christ. We're not trying to add to our salvation in this. We're not trying to please God through studying philosophy. But through that study, we can learn more about ourselves. We can learn more about God and how we can interact with him. Now, again, that all has to be based and grounded in biblical truth. That's why seminaries teach philosophy. That's one of the biggest uh, uh, kind of sub-schools within a seminary is the school of philosophy. Now, David Probus, he's preached here a couple times. He's a very energetic student of philosophy. He enjoys it much more than I do. And it's just evidence that we can use philosophy to glorify God. The second part here is human tradition. Now, again, another um, definition. Now, this one I didn't think was going to be as hard to define, but as I, as I tried to define what human tradition was, I was like, I don't know. That, it's one of those words that just seems so basic and that it's hard to define. So I, I looked it up in a couple different places. Um, the best definition that I found uh, was an established pattern of behavior. So tradition is an established pattern of behavior. So again, traditions in and of themselves are not wrong. Traditions in and of themselves are not evil. 
Traditions can be a great way to glorify God when we, tradi- when, you, when we use traditions to point to God, when we use traditions to point to good things that God has done in our life. You know, in December, we celebrate Christmas, and there are a lot of things that we do at Christmas time that are not in the Bible. But when we use those traditions to point to God, they are glorifying to him, and we can pass on wisdom from God to younger generations through these traditions. But sometimes people allow those traditions to become more important than biblical truth. Sometimes people use those traditions to become more important than their mission towards God or their mission from God. We must continually examine our traditions and ask ourselves, what is the purpose behind this tradition? If the purpose is because that's how we've always done it, then maybe we need to re-examine that tradition. But if the purpose is to glorify God, we follow that up with another question. right? So the, the first question is, what's the purpose of this tradition? If the purpose is to glorify God, the second question is, is it succeeding in that purpose? So our traditions, we want our traditions to glorify God. We want to make sure that they are doing that. If the tradition has the purpose of glorifying God and it fulfills that purpose, then I say we continue in those traditions. If the purpose, or if the tradition has the purpose of glorifying God, but it is not fulfilling that purpose, then again, we need to go back and re-examine those traditions to make sure that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Remember, our vision here is worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If our traditions that we're doing as a body of believers is not fulfilling that vision, worshiping God, then we need to re-examine what we do as a body of believers. So let's summarize that first point. The first false doctrine that Paul warns against is one that teaches that we must add to our salvation through human endeavors of philosophy and tradition. Again, neither of them are bad, but when we lose our basis, when we lose our foundation of the Bible, then they become evil. When we start to place the importance, or when we start to place their importance over the gospel, we are saying that Jesus is not enough. So that's the first point. The second point we see, um, starting in verse 11, it says, You were also circumcised with him, with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. So here we're talking about circumcision, kind of. I mean, he says it a lot, but he's really talking more about baptism here. So this is, he's uh, contrasting two things, circumcision and baptism. Now, I'm not going to go into, you know, medically what circumcision is and what, what he's talking about here. I think we all kind of have an understanding of that. But he's pointing back to the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis 17. So we have to think, what was the purpose of circumcision way back in the Abrahamic covenant? It wasn't a medical purpose. Nowadays, most of the time, when people, have, when people do circumcision, it's for a medical purpose. But back in Genesis 17, it wasn't a medical purpose. It was a theological purpose. Does anybody know why God told Abraham to circumcise their boys or his boys? Right. God gave Abraham a promise. And he said that I will take you and I will multiply you and your descendants and you will have children that outnumber the stars. And through you, all of humanity will be blessed. Through your descendants, I will bless the whole world. And in response to that promise, the way that they accepted that promise and showed that acceptance of that promise was through circumcision. 
It was a, symbol, it was a, symbol, um, a symbolic way for them to show that they were accepting God's covenant for them. Now, I'm not going to get into all like, covenantal theology and, and different aspects of that, but when we look in the New Testament and we see that Jesus says, I'm establishing a new covenant through his body and his blood, that means that the, the, the former symbols of the old covenant no longer hold the same way that they did before. The, new, the symbol of the new covenant is baptism. We, as a Southern Baptist church, practice believer's baptism by submersion. That means that when you come to faith, you profess Christ, then we will take you and we will baptize you. And that's a full submersion, as long as it's medically possible. It's a full submersion into the water and out, symbolizing you um, being put to death, putting your old sinful self to death, and being raised again with Jesus. Just like when he was sacrificed on the cross, went into the grave, and came out three days later. That's what we're doing with that. We're accepting Jesus' promise in the new covenant. This is a symbol of the new covenant. Now, there are some traditions that will teach that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's part of your sacraments. That you, that's what you have to do to earn that salvation. I'm not okay with that because we know that Jesus' sacrifice is enough for us, and our faith in him is enough for our salvation. So I like to use the analogy of a wedding ring. Now, most of the time I wear silicone wedding bands, so nothing fancy or expensive. But this wedding band is just a symbol of my marriage to Hannah. I could take this wedding band off and not wear it, and I would still be married to Hannah. But when I put it back on, nothing about me changes. I'm still married to Hannah. But it is, it is a symbol to the world that this man, I'm taking. Y'all back off because I'm taking off. <laughs> um, the New Testament we see in Galatians 5, 1 through 6, Paul talks about this, uh, the, this, uh, the baptism. He says, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace, for we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For Jesus, or sorry, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. So what Paul is saying here is that if you're going to follow through with circumcision for the point of trying to please God, then all those Old Testament laws that Jesus fulfilled in his life, well, in order to get righteousness from God, in order to earn righteousness, you better keep the whole Old Testament. But Jesus came and fulfilled all that Old Testament law. So now when we go back to try to earn God's righteousness or earn God's favor by doing that, Paul's saying it's hopeless for you. There's no way that you can do that. Um, baptism is the new circumcision. A new covenant was instituted with Jesus, and just like the Abrahamic covenant, this one comes with an outward sign, and that outward sign is baptism. Now Paul continues. He says, He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. Sorry, this is back in uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse, starting at 14. Um, going into 15 now. He disarmed the rulers, of, and the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Paul says he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. 
Paul is again pointing to the gospel. See, our certificate of debt, you could say that was the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was given to us so that we could know that we need a Savior. The Old Testament law was given to us so that we could know what God's standard is and how we fail to meet that. It showed us God's holiness, and it showed us our sinfulness. It highlighted our ability, our inability, sorry, our inability to attain righteousness, and it displayed our need for a Savior. But Jesus took our debt, and he paid it full on the cross. Jesus took our debt, and he paid it in full on the cross. If you're still trying to earn righteousness some other way, you are rejecting the gospel. You are rejecting Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and you're saying that that is not enough. So let me give you an analogy here of this false gospel. How many of you have seen the HGTV Dream Home Sweepstakes? Know anything about that? It's this big, beautiful house. It's a a $2.3 million house, um, and it's in the mountains of Montana. It's a beautiful house. Um, And so HGTV calls you up and says, here, we're giving you this big, beautiful house. You say, yes, I'll take it. But, But first, before I take that, you have to pay the taxes on that. You have to keep paying the taxes on that. In order to keep the house, you have to keep paying taxes on that, and then more taxes, and then you have to pay for upkeep and all that other kind of stuff. But a true understanding of the gospel would be that you win that dream home, and then HGTV comes in and says, we'll pay the taxes on that for you to take possession of it, and then we'll continue to pay the taxes on that, and then we'll continue to pay for upkeep and maintenance and, and updates and upgrades and everything like that. The gospel is that Jesus paid for our salvation in full, And there's nothing we can do to add to it. There's nothing that we need to do to add to it. When we continue to surrender to him, he will continue uh, to grow us into maturity. He will continue to bring us closer to him when we continue in him. There's nothing that we can do to to grow closer to God other than surrender to Jesus. Paul also says that these things are a shadow of what was to come. Well, what are these things that he's talking about? Food and drink, festival, new moon, and the Sabbath day. Well, these were practices that were commanded in the Old Testament. He's talking about Old Testament law here. But their purpose, the purpose of all these Old Testament practices and traditions, were to point to Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, the purpose for these activities has been fulfilled. Continuing to practice them is like, uh, well, let me give you another analogy. Um, Last year, there's a really great movie came out. It's called Avengers Infinity War. Really great movie. Now, before that movie came out, I watched the trailer, the commercial for the movie. I went online and I watched the trailer. And I would go online every few weeks or so and watch the trailer again because the movie was great, but the trailer was great too. And I would go back and I would watch the trailer. But then when I saw the movie, guess what I stopped watching? I stopped watching the trailer for it. I stopped watching the commercial for the movie because I saw the movie. So when we go back into the Old Testament and practice those Old Testament laws to try to learn more about Jesus, well, that's kind of like watching a trailer for a movie that you've already seen. Because the fullness of those are are expressed in Jesus. The fullness of those Old Testament traditions and the fullness of those Old Testament laws are given to us in Jesus. That's not saying we shouldn't study those laws. It's not saying we shouldn't uh, um, maybe even practice those, but not to earn God's favor. We don't do them to try to earn salvation because Jesus fulfilled them for us. 
Paul says that trying to add to your salvation through religious acts is like watching the trailer for a movie after you've already seen it. Paul doesn't say that any of these actions in and of themselves are bad. They are only evil when we're trying to perform them to earn salvation. Matter of fact, we will see later in this letter that the surrender to the gospel should lead to religious acts, but not to earn salvation, but in response to salvation. We're not trying to please God by doing good works, but because God is living in us, his character flows through us, and these good works become God's glory shining through us to the people around us. We'll finish it up by looking at this third aspect here. It says, Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. So Paul here is pointing to other religious practices that were common in the, religious empire, or sorry, in the Roman Empire. He says ascetic practices. According to, like, so I had to go back and, and get some definitions for some words this week. So according to Britannica.com, um, ascetic practices is the practice of denial of physical or psychological desires in order to attain a spiritual ideal or goal. It's kind of like when we talk about fasting, but taken to an extreme level where you deny yourself food or, or pleasures for the rest of your life, basically, so that you can try to attain this higher level of religiosity, try to attain this higher level of godliness by not eating food that tastes good. Um, second, he talks about the worship of angels. So the Greek phrase used here probably indicates people worshiping angels, just like it sounds. That sounds kind of crazy, worshiping angels. They're not gods, but people were worshiping angels. There are some possible other interpretations, but they all basically fall, uh, f yes, they all basically point to some sort of spiritualism that's elevated above surrendering to the gospel. And the third part, the third religious practice that he's talking about is a visionary realm. So these are people who have claimed to have had some sort of visionary experience, some spiritual experience that now takes them to a higher level of spiritual awesomeness. And, and so they're using this as a way to look down on other people who haven't had these visionary experiences. Now these three could basically be summed up in Paul's next statement. Empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Empty notions of their unspiritual mind. So these are all human attempts to find God or find an answer for our brokenness outside of God's revelation for us. See, God has revealed himself to us in two ways. He's revealed himself to us in the Bible and through Jesus. Now, yes, there, there is a uh, general revelation where God has placed knowledge of him in everyone, and we can look around to creation and see evidence of God, but God has specifically revealed himself to us in two ways. That's through his word and through Jesus. Any claim to be a revelation from God that contradicts Jesus or the Bible is false teaching. Now, this next verse, it says, He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. Now, this is another one of those texts that might fall into those hard texts that we talked about last week. But if we look at the context, it's not so bad. But on a little side note, by the way, if I had one major complaint about the Bible, now that sounds bad. 
But if I had one complaint or, or maybe a piece of advice for God when he's writing the Bible, it would be to use less pronouns, more proper nouns. That would make this easier for us to understand what you're talking about here. More proper nouns, less pronouns. But God, in, in his infinite wisdom, didn't choose to take my advice in this. So, I mean, he is smarter than me and, and wiser than me. So, uh, When we take this verse out of context, this he could be easily misinterpreted as God. And this verse then makes no sense at all. Why would God not hold to the head, which is Christ? Now, that doesn't make any sense. But if we keep it in context, and we look back to the, the immediately preceding verse, we get the answer to who this he might be. And verse, in verse 18 indicates that someone is condemning the Colossian believers for not practicing in acts of worship in a false religion. It goes on to say that these people's pride comes from their empty notions of an unspiritual mind. When we get to verse 19, it seems that Paul has someone very specific in mind. And the Colossians would know exactly who Paul is talking about. So he doesn't even have to say this person's name. He just leaves it as a pronoun, he. And they know exactly who he's talking about. Paul is saying that this person's, uh, Paul is saying that spiritual growth comes from staying connected to the head, which is Jesus. A few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being the head of the body. And without staying connected to the head, the body will fail to grow. The body will die. As believers, when we fail to stay connected to the head, when we fail to stay connected to Jesus, then we will fall away. So the three false teachings that the Colossians are facing and Paul is writing against is philosophy and human tradition, the Judaizers, and secular religions of the Roman Empire. So getting into our application, and uh, we get our application from our definition of a disciple, knowing that disciples should be growing in three areas, and that's knowing, being, and doing. So this first application point, the knowing, know that false gospels abound, and we must resist the temptation to follow them. And say that again, know that there are false gospels all over the place, but we must resist the temptation to follow them. Paul actually addresses this specifically. If we keep reading, starting in verse 20, he says, If you died with Christ to the elements of the world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Let me say that again. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All of these regulations refer to what is des uh, destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So all these false teachings are not going to get you anywhere closer to Christ. So our being is to be on the lookout for these false teachings in our own life. Be on the lookout for these false teachings in our own life. So we could go through and give a whole bunch of, of examples of how these false teachings are impacting us. I have a list of a few. You know, when we talk about traditions, you know, traditions that in some of our uh, sister churches or maybe even here sometimes, traditions that get elevated to that point of religious uh, identification is how do we act on Sunday mornings? What time do we meet together on Sunday mornings? You know, on, in some churches, if you were to change the meeting time on a Sunday morning, man, that church would just about fall apart. Or what do you wear to church? Uh, that's not something that's a huge deal here, but some churches, what you wear to church is a big deal. 
or the order of the service. How dare you change the order of the service? No, we have to sing a song right here, and then we have to take up the offering right there, and we have to do this at a certain time. Changing the order of worship becomes an idol. Philosophies and human tradition um, in our society, the philosophies and human wisdom that, that we have to struggle against are pluralism or universalism. All right, So pluralism basically says that um, any religion, I'm sorry, um, pluralism would be that there are multiple ways to God. That basically any form of worship is going to be a good form of worship to God and, and that all these different religions are worshiping the same God. Universalism says that everybody, no matter how they lived, but every, everybody is going to get to heaven anyway. Um, secularism is another philosophy that we uh, that, that is attacking the Christian community right now. Secularism, um, uh, specifically in, um, oh, the word just left me. Um, sorry. But, so one teaching in secularism basically says that as humans, when we come together and work together, then we can achieve, achieve a greater good outside of any belief in God. That's, uh, sorry, secular humanism. Um, and then, Private religion is another one that, that people tell us that, that we need to follow. Private religion. This is uh, where I can be a good Christian and I can be faithful to the Bible, but I don't have to tell anybody else about it. I don't have to have those uncomfortable conversations and, and, and make other people feel uncomfortable. In order to be faithful to the Bible, in order to be faithful to Jesus, we know that he has given us the Great Commission. He has told us to go and make disciples. Another category here would be relig religiosity. Now, this one is kind of hard to give examples for because all the examples that I give could be good examples of things that we do that are good things, but it becomes religiosity when we're doing them for the wrong reason. It becomes legalism. So do we serve God in order to earn his love, or do we serve God because we love him and we are grateful for the wonderful salvation that he has provided? So let me give you a few examples here, all right? Reading the Bible daily, attending worship regularly, having, uh, or, sorry, helping the needy, or sharing the gospel. Now, those are all really good things. Those are all things that we should be doing as Christians. But it becomes legalism when reading the Bible daily becomes more about checking the box to make yourself feel better. Or attending regular worship is... You were doing that just to keep up appearances, or, or we know that traditionally that's what we've always done, so we just keep doing it. Or helping the needy. We do that because we're trying to make up for some bad thing that we've done in some other area of our life. Or sharing the gospel. You do that just because your pastor tells you to. Those are the wrong reasons to do that, and that's when it becomes religiosity. But now, when we get down to our doing, serve God. So I'm going to take those same four acts and turn them around. Right? So serve God. Read your Bible daily not to check off the box to make yourself feel better about what you've done, but read your Bible daily so that you're spending time with God and learning more about Him. Attend worship regularly. Again, not to keep up appearances because you know that people will wonder what's wrong with you if you don't show up, but attend, attend worship regularly to worship God with other believers and to spend time with your family. Helping the needy, right? We don't help the needy because we're trying to make up for some other bad thing that we've done. But we help the needy because God showed us grace, and we want to share it with those around us. And sharing the gospel. Again, sharing the gospel because your pastor tells you to, that's not a good reason to do it. But share the gospel because our, or God's love 
for other people overflows out of us. And we can't help but to share his good news. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word and the truth that is in your word. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus and that he is enough for us. Father, I pray that you will impress upon us the truth of the gospel and the sufficiency of the gospel, that Jesus is all we need to know, more, to know you, to know you more, to be saved through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.